How many of you have ever seen that TV show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Anybody seen that one? Uh, you know, the funny thing is, every time I watch that show, I realize I'm not as smart as I think I am. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a test this morning. We're going to ask you some questions that are from the TV show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? And you get to grade yourself. All right. Question number one, how many bones are there in the human body? Anybody have a guess? 206 is the exact answer. Good job, 206. I didn't know that one. I got it wrong. Uh, Second question, how many days are there in a leap year? Somebody? I thought there was 356 or 365. I was a day off. So I was, the answer is 366. That is correct if you said that. Uh, Man, I'm not really, not feeling very smart. You guys are getting them all right. Uh, Number four, what, or number three, what does AMPM stand for? Slurpees, anybody? No. AMPM, anybody know? Anti, I actually got to find the answer. Anti-meridium and post-meridium. That's what it stands for. Anybody actually get that one right? I didn't. How about this one? What is the smallest perfect number? Anybody know? Smallest perfect number. The answer is six. Now, here's the second question. Anybody know what a perfect number is? Yeah, I I still am a little bit uncertain of what a perfect number is. Uh, One more question that actually didn't make it on the screen. Uh, what What do you call a dad trying to help his kids with their homework? Thankful for Google. Yep, there we go. Thankful for Google. Now, we might joke and we might say, you know, we are maybe not smarter than a fifth grader. But I think in reality, sometimes we think we're smarter than God. I mean, we would never say that. We'd never say, well, I'm smarter than God, but our actions kind of show that we think we are. And how is that? Through our impatience. Our impatience. Patience is a virtue. Patience is something that we love to see uh, in practice. In fact, uh, Thomas uh, Kempis said, all men commend patience, but very few practice it. That sounds about right. How does our impatience show that we think that we are smarter than God? Well, scripturally, uh, there's this theological term called the sovereignty of God. And it's consistent in scripture. The sovereignty of God says that God is in control of our world and our life. That nothing happens outside of his influence and authority. Which means God's, God's got it. God's, God's got it. And this is true. This is scriptural. This is what scripture teaches But what happens? What happens when God's plans don't line up with our plans? What happens when the the circumstances that God has put in our life doesn't line up with the direction that we want to go? Or maybe put it this way, maybe it's beyond plans. Maybe it's what happens when God's timing doesn't line up with the timing that you and I have for our life? This comes when we begin to have a lack of patience, when these things happen. So despite the fact that we know that God is sovereign, despite the fact that Scripture says that God is working things out for our good and His glory, when His plans don't line up with our plans, we get a little impatient. Now, our impatience typically works its way out in three different ways. One of three different ways. Some of us, we get into that fight mode, right? Where the circumstances aren't what we want them to be. The direction is not what we want. People are, are rough, and so we get into fight mode. I'll just take control of the situation. I'll, I'll make it happen. I'll fix the problem. I'll fix the person. How many of you are like that? 
you just get in fight mode. I'm, I'm going to run. I'm going to take care of it. My own strength. Other people, when they're dealing with impatience, they deal with fright. They deal with fright. This is where they get paralyzed. This is where they freeze. They, they panic. Maybe that anxiety begins to kick in. They got worry and fear that ties into that. And, and then it begins to steal our, our peace and our joy and our love because we have this fright. We become frozen. Third response is, is flight. This is where we're facing a difficult circumstance or a difficult, difficult person. And we're like, I'm done. I, I quit. I'm filing for divorce. I, I'm putting in my notice at work. I'm throwing my phone in the Yakima River. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm not doing this any longer. Which of these responses do you typically deal with when you're dealing with impatience? The, the fight, the fright, or the, or the flight? What I've learned in my life is that when we are impatient, when we lack patience, oftentimes we run ahead of God and we miss out on the best that God would have for us. We miss out on what God is trying to actually do in our life. In fact, I, 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 it's like this. We've got some dear friends that, that a couple years ago, they invited my family, and we've got five kids, so it's a significant thing to invite all of us over for dinner. But they invited us over to dinner, and they gave us brisket. Brisket. Now, I know some of you are like, oh, chocolate, give me the chocolate. Forget your chocolate, give me some meat, right? And so this brisket was like melt in your mouth just Good. If you're a vegetarian, I'm praying for you. I'm not trying to cause any triggers for you, but man, I, I loved it. It was so good. And so after dinner that night, I got a new hobby of smoking meat. The problem is, I'm not a very patient person. Problem is, I'm kind of the guy that's like, hey, throw it in the microwave, crank up the heat. How fast can we get the food on the table? That's kind of how I cook. But I'm learning that the secret the secret to, to tender and juicy meat is patience. You can't rush it. Like to make it right, you have to marinate the meat for a day or two beforehand. And then you put it on the smoker and you turn it on low and slow, a low temperature for a long period of time. And if you, if you rush that meat, if you crank up the heat, what happens is you deal with uh, meat that is dry and chewy. And so... Again, that, that wonderful, whatever your pork or chicken or whatever you prefer, low and slow, it requires patience. And this is true in our lives as well. When we try and rush the process that God is trying to lead us through, when we try and rush and run out ahead of God, oftentimes what happens, let's be honest, we make the situation worse. And when we make the situation worse, we miss out on what God is trying to accomplish in us and through us. And as we learn to practice patience, that is when we begin to see the fruit of what God is trying to accomplish in our life. This morning, I invited you guys to read or to open to James chapter 5. We've been in this series for a couple weeks now on the fruit of the Spirit that says, the fruit of the Spirit is this, as we abide in Christ, as we walk in His Spirit, as we develop our relationship with God, that there are these, these, these characteristics that become increasingly evident in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That as we are walking with God, these are the fruit that become evident in our life. And notice every one of those things has less to do with our morality and our theology and more to do with our character. I think that God is more concerned with who we are becoming. 
Now, one of the things I've noticed with the, the fruit of the Spirit, and I don't know if you've noticed this as well, but the fruit of the Spirit, most of them are exhibited in our reaction to the circumstances in our life and the people around us, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, they are, you see them in relationship to our circumstances in our life and the people around us. And so this is where this idea that if we're going to walk in the Spirit, like, we have to walk in community. We, we have to be in relationship with one another. In fact, one of the things that we say here at Restoration Church is that we belong together. And, and that is true. If we're going to fulfill, we're going to walk in the Spirit, we have to learn to walk with one another, to display these fruit to one another. Got to be a part of the community. And over the past couple of weeks, as we've been in this series of the fruit of the Spirit, I, I've tried to... St- I've tried to stay awake to the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I want to I wanna look at my life to say, am I seeing these fruit? And I'll be honest, man, it's been convicting to me. When I look at my life week after week, and I'm like, oh, crap, I'm not walking in the Spirit here. I just had a, oh, man, I, I, I blew it. It's been convicting to me, but it's also been so encouraging to think, man, I could, as I walk with God, as I lean into Him, like this is the person that God is going to create me to be. A person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's beautiful. I'm encouraged by what God could do in our lives. Today, we're going to talk about patience. How many of you struggle with patience? Yeah, all of us could probably put our hands up. In fact, when I looked at the definition of patience this week, that stressed me out, just the definition of patience. See, the word patience in your Bible, it comes from the Greek word uh, macrothymia, which is really a blend of two words. Macro, meaning long, and thymia, meaning temper. Specifically meaning that our temper takes a long time to materialize. So here's our our, our working definition of patience. Patience is long-suffering and endurance through challenging circumstances and people. In fact, I'd add in this. Uh, patience is those things without freaking out. That's what patience is. Patience is endurance and long-suffering through challenging circumstances and people. In James chapter 5, we have Jesus' little brother. He had a half-brother by the name of James. And James is writing to a group of Christians who are scattered across the region. Many of these Christians, they're, they're, they're rather poor. They struggle financially. And they've been exploited by the rich. And on top of that, they're being persecuted for their faith. And so these people are struggling. They're overwhelmed. They're burdened. They're, 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 they're just frustrated. And like many of us, they're looking at their circumstances and they're lacking patience. They're frustrated. They're ready to fight or flight or, or, or fright or whatever it happens to be. And it's in light of these difficult circumstances that these people find themselves in that James writes to remind them that God is sovereign. God is in control. God is at work, and they need to be patient. Let's be honest. Patience is probably a little easier when times are good, right? Patience is easier when the bills are paid, when the relationships are healthy, when, when, when everything's going good. Patience is a little bit easier. But when things get difficult, that is when it is more challenging for us to be patient. And that is where James writes and says to these Christians, be patient. So this morning, James is going to write about three specific situations for those Christians in James' day and for us to be patient in. And the first 
the first circumstance that he says to be patient is he says to be patient when circumstances seem uncontrollable. Right? There are some things in our life that we've got control over. There are many things in our life that we have little control over. Right? And so here's what James says. He says, uh, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 7. And why does he say that? He continues, notice the farmer, he waits for precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. We've got some good friends named Keith and Don Real who've got a, a farm in the lower valley. And they invited me to come down and kind of tour their harvest uh, on their farm. And, and I'm a city boy, so I'm like, hey, I got to learn how to be a farmer. I got to learn. This is awesome. I'm going to go down and check it out. Very cool. Uh, what I... My observation from going down and seeing their farm is it takes a lot of faith and patience to be a farmer. I'm not sure I'd be really good at that job. See, as a farmer, they cannot control or guarantee the outcome. They have no control over whether this harvest is going to be good or bad because there are things out of their control. They can't control the weather. They can't control uh, the rain and whether there's enough water to keep everything uh, wet. They can't control the economy to see if people are actually going to buy whatever they are harvesting. They have little control over the outcome. And farmers, they have to be very patient. Like like these these crops they grow, it takes, you know, six months or I don't know how long it takes. I don't even remember. That's why I can't be a farmer. It takes however long for the the fruit, for the harvest to, to get ready. And then for each variety that they're harvesting, there's only like a day or two that they can harvest for that harvest to be at peak ripeness. And so you've got a 30-day window where you've got to block and get the right harvest at the right time. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on the fruitfulness. This takes incredible patience. But that doesn't mean that the farmer is kind of sitting idly by playing video games while he's waiting for the harvest. No, farmers are busy pruning and shaping, and preparing, and trying to create an environment for fruitfulness. See, what James is saying is this is true of our lives as well. There are circumstances that we have no control over. Like, we have no control over our boss making some new rule that affects us in our workplace. We have no control over our business and what happens in the economy and how fruitful our business is if the economy begins to tank. We have no control over the decisions that our family and our friends make. Many times we don't have control over the medical diagnosis that we're giving because it's something that's out of our control. And it's in those situations that we don't have control that we become anxious and stressed out and fearful, leading us to be impatient. I'm going to fight this. I'm going to fight. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to be, be afraid. I'm just going to be frozen. Or I'm going to fly. I'm just going to check out. I'm done. I'm giving up. And this is James' encouragement. When you are facing those circumstances that are uncontrollable, that you have no control over, James is saying, be patient. Be patient because God is sovereign, because God is in control. Be patient like the farmer. This is where we have to understand God in control. He takes us through seasons. There are seasons where we are experiencing fruitfulness. There's a season where we experience a harvest and God's doing all this cool stuff in our lives and we love it. But just as there are seasons of fruitfulness, there are seasons where God is doing something different. Seasons where God is trying to 
prune us, which is a painful process. It hurts, but it's necessary where he's got to take some of those rough areas off of our life to make us more like him. There are seasons of pruning. There are seasons where God is trying to to develop our root system, to, to cause our roots to grow deep and strong in him so that when the storm comes, we aren't blown over. There are seasons that God take us, takes us through. And we have to be patient for God to lead us to that time of fruitfulness. In fact, James gives a little bit of encouragement. He, he, when he says that our life is like a farm and we have to learn how to be patient in those times, here's the encouragement that he gives. He says, be patient in verse 7. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. See, when Jesus rose from the grave, he gave a promise to his disciples and he gave a promise to us. He he said, I'm coming back. I'm going to come back and I'm going to restore all things. I'm going to fix all the wrongs. See, here's the good news. is that God walked out of the grave, which means he's not dead. And that means he's not done. He's not dead. That means he's not done. He's still at work in our lives He's still at work doing things in us and making us more like him. And so this is where we have to learn how to be patient. We have to practice patience when circumstances are out of our control because God is still alive and he is still at work. And if we try and rush the harvest, we risk ruining what God is trying to do in our lives because we're impatient, we run out ahead of God. So James says, be patient when circumstances are unchangeable. Number two, he's going to tell us to be patient when people don't meet meet our expectations. True or false? True or false? When you are overwhelmed, when you are burdened, when you are stressed, we tend to be less patient with other people. Most of the time, that's true of us, right? You might be saying, well, that's not me. Except the person sitting next to you says, that's totally them. Yeah, that's exactly what they do. And here's what James says. Verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you do not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. See, when we go through storms of life, when we face hardship and difficulty, man, we are so quick to point the finger at the people around us. We're so quick to complain. God, God, I'm going through this. God, I wish you gave me a better spouse who would understand me. God, God, I wish you gave me better friends who would be there for me. God, I wish you gave me a better pastor. God, I wish you did these things. We complain and we're like, God, oh, God, look what this person did to me. God, this person, they didn't do this for me like I needed them to. God, this person won't let me go. They're just doing way too much. And we just complain, complain about the people around us. See, what happens, oftentimes, we get through that season where things are hard, and we make this circle around us. We make a circle of all of our relationships, and here you and I are, we're in the middle of that circle. And all those people around us, they're there to meet our needs, right? All those people around us are there to minister to us and to meet us when we need it. I mean, that's the way that we kind of view our relationships. But that's not the way that God has created things. In fact, there's a Uh, There's a philosopher by the name of Eric Hoffer who's not a Christian. And I love what he said. He said, it's easier for us to love humanity than it is for us to love our neighbor. Ouch, isn't that true? I can claim, oh, I love, I love humanity. But then when the 
going gets hard, man, it's easy for us to turn on our neighbor, on our spouse, on our friend, on our church, begin complaining about them. In fact, how many of you ever been in a car trip with kids, right? You've got this great destination in front of you. You're going to Disneyland or wherever it happens to be. And you're like, man, the kids are going to be so excited. But what do the kids do? I'm bored. I don't like the car. She looked at me. He picked his nose. That's what kids do, right? You ever thought that God must feel like a parent in the front of that car, right? I mean, God's, God's taking us to a great place. He's like, I've got something great in front of you. But here we are in the back of the car. She did this to me. Well, he said that to me. Well, they didn't do this. I, I just imagine God being like, don't make me turn this car around. Oh, don't make me come back. Could you picture God doing that to us? James is warning us, don't be like those kids in the back of the car. Don't sit there and complain about one another. He says, if you complain, he says, you will be judged. Makes me think of, uh, uh, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus implies and says, how you judge others will be the way that you are judged yourself. See, here's, here's the thing. We're saying that God, you're going through some hard stuff, chances are God is at work in your life. You ever thought, you ever thought, you ever thought that maybe life is not this circle with you in the middle of it? And just as God is, is doing some things in your life, you ever thought maybe God is doing something in other people's lives as well? Maybe they're going through some stuff as well. Just as you are going through some stuff, maybe God is doing the same thing to others. See, again, this is where we come back to this idea. God's not dead. He is not done. He is still at work. He's still at work in your life. And guess what? He's probably still at work in the life of your spouse and your neighbor and your father-in-law and your boss and your child and the person who cut you off on the way to church today. You ever imagine maybe God is still at work in their life too? And they're not where they need to be. Maybe they're going through some hard stuff and maybe that's leading them to be not what you want them to be. Maybe God's timing is slower than yours. But just as much as God is working in your life, producing something in you, God is at work in the people around you, producing something in them. Slower than we'd like it to be. And maybe that person is dragging their feet a little bit, just like you and I have done as well. This is where, back a couple of pages in James chapter 1, James writes, and this may be helpful for us to consider as we look at people who may not be meeting our expectations. James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. If we actually put that into practice with the people around us who are not meeting our expectations, how much agony would we save? How much tension and frustration and disappointment would we save if we did that, those things? If we were quick to listen slow to speak and slow to get angry. I know some of you are getting impatient right now. Well, how long is this sermon going to go? Listen, it's on patience. We got some time in front of us, right? So here, here's our things. Uh, James says, be patient when circumstances are out of your control. Number two, James says, be patient when people do not meet your expectations. And number three, be patient when problems are unexplainable. 
Here's what he says in verse 11. Consider those who, uh, who blessed, who remain steadfast. He said, you've heard the steadfastness of Job, who had seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord was compassionate and merciful. If you've never heard the story of Job, it is a, it's a great story. It's a great story. You can open your Old Testament, read it. It's going to take you a little bit of time. It's a long book. The story of Job is a great story. The story says that, that, that Satan comes up to God, and he's like, hey, you know your boy Job? Scripture calls Job holy and blameless. He says, you know your boy Job? The only reason that Job is faithful to you is because you've blessed him. The only reason he's good to you is because you've made his life good. And so God actually grants Satan permission to make Job's life miserable. So Job does that. He takes, or excuse me, Job doesn't do that. Satan does that. He takes away Job's children. He takes away his job. He takes away his money. He takes away his health. Job lost everything except for his life. And as you read the book of Job, and Job struggles with God. He struggles trying to understand, God, what's going on here? Why am I going through all this? He struggles with God, but he never denies God. He never turns his back on God. In fact, as you read the book of Job, uh, we get to see the backstory. We get to see behind the scenes. But as you read the book of Job, Job never gets an explanation. God never says, hey, this is what I'm doing in your life. He never gets the reason why he was going through all that stuff. But James says that Job saw the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord was compassionate and merciful. Because Job was patient, because Job endured, was long-suffering through the unexplainable circumstances that Job was going through, Job got experience when God met him in his brokenness and when God restored and healed what had been taken away. In fact, Job chapter 42 says, the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first part. See, we have to understand that just because we don't understand what's happening in our life does not mean that God is not at work. See, our culture, I think our culture makes many of us quit way too soon. We quit way too soon on our spouse. We quit way too soon on our job. We quit too soon on our friends. We quit too soon on our church. We quit too soon in our lives. We begin to miss seeing the purpose of the Lord. We miss experiencing his compassion and his mercy because we quit too soon. Listen, there are times in our life where things are just unexplainable. Man, God, why do I have to suffer in this way? God, why, why did I have to go through that abuse? God, why did, why did this person have to turn their back on me and stab me? God, God, why did my loved one have to die? Why am I struggling? Listen, we may never get the answers to why. But when we are patient and long-suffering, we might just be able to experience the purposes of the Lord. We might just be able to experience His compassion and his, his mercy, when we are patient and we endure and we go through whatever God has for us. See, James is trying to give this big picture. He's going to say, what he's teaching us is patience comes as we trust that God is at work in our circumstances and in our relationships, even when we don't see it. 
That's what James, that's his big idea, that's his summary in this passage, is that patience comes when we trust that God is at work in our circumstances and our relationships, even when we don't see it. And that's true. But here I am this week, I'm writing a sermon on patience, and I'll be honest, it just stresses me out. It just stresses me out. Because I imagine I'm like many of you, where when we're facing some hard things, some difficult things, man, we're so quick to take our eyes off of God. We're so quick to forget that God is at work. We start worrying about our circumstances, worrying about our relationships, complaining about our relationships. And I think, well, I'm writing a sermon on patience. How do I be patient? Do we just got to try harder? And maybe that's what we need to do, just try harder. And we might be able to do that for a day or two until trials get really hard. Then we revert back to that impatience, that fight, that fright, that flight. See, this is where I love the Bible because the Bible is so consistent. See, we've been in this series, The Fruit of the Spirit. And each week we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit. We've said the key of the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. They're not a list of things we're supposed to do. They're not, they're not a list of things that we've got to go and try harder. The key to the fruit is walking in the Spirit, abiding in God, and abiding in the gospel. And look what James says. James chapter 5, verse 8. Here's the key. I love it. Scripture is so consistent. James says, you also be patient. And establish your heart for the Lord, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. See, what he just said is our battle to be patient. It's not in our actions. It's in our heart. That is actually out of our heart that leads us to being impatient and rushing and running out ahead of God. See, when we lack patience, it's not because our circumstances are difficult. It's not because people are annoying. When we lack patience, it comes from our heart. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murder and immorality. And I'd go further and say, out of the heart comes impatience and anxiety and fear and judgment and those other things. See, we're so quick, when we look at the fruit, we're so quick to think, well, if I can just change my circumstances, if I can change the people around me, then I'd be patient. Then I would have love and joy and peace. The battle is not out here in our circumstances and the people around us. The battle is right here in our heart. And this is what James says. He says, establish your heart. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. And what that means is we've got to, to fix our heart. We've got to set our heart on the promises of God. We've got to have a heart that is firmly rooted in his promises. We've got to continually turn the attention of our heart off of our circumstances and off of the people that frustrate us onto the gospel again and again and again. See, the gospel says that Jesus went to the cross. He died in our place. He was buried, and he walked out of the grave. Why? To give us redemption so, so that we can be made new, so we can experience restoration. It's the power of the gospel that allows us to have restored lives. 
The power of the gospel that can restore marriages, that can restore homes, that can restore communities. Why? Because of the gospel. Because of what Jesus has done for us. And what James is saying is we've got to, we've got to establish our heart in that story of what God has done for us. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just we go, we hear the gospel once, and that's good. No, we have to come back to it time and time again. Because you know what? I found myself, I guess I'm not that smart. I am so quick, even though I know the truth, to turn my attention to something else. I'm forgetful. I forget that story. And I go back into, it's all about my strength. It's all about what I can do. It's all about my actions. If I could change my circumstances, then I'd be at peace. Then I'd have patience. Instead of saying, no, the patience comes as I establish my heart in the gospel and in the promises of God. So we have to continually come back to that story of what Jesus has done for us. That's why when you come to Restoration Church, I want you to hear that message every single Sunday. Because that's when we're going to have our hearts established. And the fact of what he's done for us and the fact that he's coming back to redeem all things, to make all things new, that he's not dead, that he is alive and he's still at work today. Because as he rose from the grave, as Jesus ascended into heaven, that's what he promised us. He promised and said, I'm going to return. And when I return, I'm going to right every wrong. I'm going to make all things right. I'll allow you to experience heaven where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. And that is the hope that we long for. And we can be patient knowing that God is still at work. And we anchor our heart in the fact that he's at work. I know some of us are saying, all right, pastor, I've been trying this. Trying really hard to be patient. How long? It's hard. Isn't it hard? It's hard. My answer to how long I'll give you the encouragement that a doctor gave a guy who got in a bad car accident and woke up in the hospital. The guy woke up in the hospital and said, Doctor, how long do I have to be here? And the doctor's response, one day at a time. See, we have to figure out how to establish our heart for one day at a time. Let's establish our heart today. Let's be patient and trust that God is at work today. Tomorrow, there's enough problems for tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Let's focus on today. Because guess what happens when you establish your heart in the Lord today? When you are faithful to him today, guess what? One day turns into two. Two days turns into a week. A week turns into a month. A month turns into years. And years turn into a lifetime of faithfulness, of allowing our heart to be anchored in the gospel and in the promises of God. And that is when we become people who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Because every day, one day at a time, we anchor our hearts and establish our hearts in the Lord. In fact, I want to close this morning with just a story about the fruit of patience in our life. Uh, we've, uh, we've recommended the book here at Restoration Church called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. The story of Jim Cimbala, Jim uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, uh, in that book, Jim tells a story about his daughter. His daughter, who was a teenager, she began to pull back from her parents. She began to rebel and be very reckless in her, in her life. And as 
that situation grew worse as she went further down that bad road. Jim, the pastor, did everything he could. He begged his daughter. He, he pleaded with her. He scolded her. He argued with her. He tried to control her. He did everything in his power to change her and found nothing worked. In fact, the harder he tried, the further she went away, further down that path of destruction. Till one day one of his friends called him, a close friend, said, you know what, Jim? You cannot control her. You cannot be her savior. Jim, if you want restoration for your daughter, you've got to pray. You've got to be patient and trust that God is at work. And Jim said, well, does that just mean I sit back and do nothing? He said, no, no, you pray and you be patient for the Lord and you love her well. Every opportunity, you love her well. But you've got to be patient and trust that God is at work. And Jim and his wife are like, well, we got no other options. We tried everything. Nothing's worked. All right, we'll do this. A little while later on a Tuesday night, our church gathered for a Tuesday night prayer meeting. And one of the members of the church said, hey, hey, Jim, I feel like we need to pray for your daughter specifically. And Jim's like, well, I don't want you to pray for her. I don't want to tell you all the stuff that's going on. I'd be embarrassed and ashamed if you knew everything that was going on with my daughter. The church member said, no, I really feel like we need to pray for your daughter. Jim says, well, I got no other option, so let's pray. They prayed that night for his daughter specifically. It was a day and a half later. Daughter shows up at the house. She lays in the fetal position on the kitchen floor. She says, Daddy, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against mom. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against myself. Dad, would you, would you forgive me? And Jim's hugging his little girl, hugging his daughter. And his daughter says, Dad, who prayed for me on Tuesday? Because God on Tuesday, or Dad on Tuesday, God woke me up in the middle of the night and he showed me that I was headed to this abyss with no bottom. He showed me this is where I was headed. And I was so scared, Daddy. But then, then it was like God wrapped his arms around me. And he held me tight. And he kept me from sliding into that abyss. And he told me, he told me, I still love you. See, I think about our church. I think about our families. I think about our community. I think about our future. We've got to find a way to establish our hearts and keep trusting, keep trusting that God is at work. Keep waiting, keep believing in his promises that he is working things out for our good and for his glory even when we don't see it. And we've got to keep waiting that God will do what only he can do. Because if we... As a church, as a people, if we could do that, then we might just be like Jim Cimbala. We might get to see God do more than we could ever imagine. And it comes as we are patient in allowing God to be God, allowing God to work things out for our good and for his glory.
That's what I want for us. That's what I want in my life. I want to see God do what only He can do. Let's pray.